a reading from the book of Samuel. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David. And Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with his spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please, let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hareth. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Just a couple housekeeping notes. Um, it's ironic that today's sermon is titled Facing Darkness, because if, if you turn around and look at my monitor, it's pitch black. That one's gone out. So I might cheat by looking up at this monitor. And also, some of you know that I've discovered I need glasses. And so, um, again, such irony. I think today's Sermon is going to be challenging and comforting. So let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in in Jesus' name, amen. So this fall, we've been making our way through the life of David, 
And if you've not been with us, that's okay. We're, we're now in this kind of scene or this uh, state where Saul, who's the king of Israel, is trying to kill David. And uh, you can always catch up where we've been by going to our website. And under worship, our sermons uh, are online. So you can do that uh, if you so desire. Today we're looking at, I believe, 1 Samuel chapter 19 and 22. But before we dive into the text, I want to dive into our hearts by asking this question. How do you act when the lights go out and you can't see a thing? How do you act when the lights go out and you can't see a thing? When I was in seminary, I launched an urban ministry for kids from single-parent homes or where they had no parents in the home. And it was called the Timothy Project. And, and a lot of these uh, high school kids, um, they had never been out of the state of Florida where I was from. And I thought, well, I grew up grow going to the mountains. I grew up going to Pisgah uh, Forest. Anyone go to Pisgah? Yeah? Anyone hike up there? So I grew up going to Western North Carolina. I think it would bless them and it would actually grow them not only with each other, but even connect them with God. And so uh, we did all the waivers and we got all these, these young uh, men up to the mountains. And if you've never been to the Blue Ridge Parkway, here's a picture of the Shining Rock Wilderness Area. It's absolutely gorgeous. And by the way, just so you don't come to me after the sermon, if you want an easy, beautiful hike, Black Balsam Knob. Black Balsam Knob. So that's where we started our hiking. And I said, guys, it's going to be hard. Uh, it's going to be adventurous, but it's going to be uh, life-changing. And so we started the hike, and, and uh, we ended up hiking, I think, five to ten miles each day. And uh, we ended up setting up camp uh, near this river, this stream, in graveyard fields. And that's when things started to kind of tilt you know, off the original plan. They said, well, why is it called graveyard fields? And I said, guys, I don't know. And they said, really? I said, really? So anyway, I like to camp. I, I, I've kind of gone past the tent um, scene, and I like to just put a tarp on the ground, and then a little tarp, uh, not a little, a tarp close to the ground for fresh air, you know? And with the illusion that Somehow I can see out, but the reality is there's no lights at night, right? But I said, guys, it's going to be so gorgeous. Um, you're just going to see like a thousand stars. And here's a picture of the, um, the sky uh, from, someone took from Pisgah. And I said, the one thing I do need to warn you about is there are bears. And so what that means is we're going to, put all of our food and even our toothpaste, anything that smells, in a sack, and we're going we're gonna to tie it up on a tree so the bears can't get to the food or come into our camp. And they looked at me and said, are, are, are you kidding? I said, I'm not kidding. So um, night came, and, and here's a picture of the nighttime in Pisgah. And, and I said, uh, guys, look at the stars. And they could barely look up because they were constantly looking out into the darkness. And I realized they were terrified of the darkness. I, I really recognize it because throughout the first night, actually throughout every night we were out there, like when they had to use the bathroom, like 
They were, we were, I've never camped so tight in my life. We were all bunched together. No one wanted to be on the outside, right? Admit it if you're one of those people. No one wants to sleep on the outside of the tent or the tarp, right? Well, I get it. But then they would use the bathroom. And I kid you not, they would dive into the tarp. They would, thinking a bear was after them, right? It was a scary time. But uh, it, it reminds me of this passage, and, and looking back, it was a beautiful time with those young men. And even over the last year, they contacted me and they said that was kind of a trip of a lifetime for us. You see, our passage talks about a different kind of journey into darkness. And here's the main point of our passage that we're going to unpack this morning. Even when we cannot see the way, God leads the way. Even when we cannot see the way God leads the way, and we're going to unpack this point through three sub-points. Point number one, God's way is clear. Point number two, God's way is full of trials. And point number three, God's way cultivates gospel leadership. Point number one, God's way is clear. All right, a little backdrop to our text. It's a weird text. Um, we've actually touched on Saul trying to kill David the last couple weeks. You know, we talked about friendship and, and Saul's son, Jonathan, coming alongside David and that we're, we're made for true, true friendship. The week before, we talked about envy. But time and time again in this passage, Saul is trying to kill David. Something has gone wrong. He is the king of Israel. And uh, it wasn't meant to be this way. In fact, if you... Go to some of the early pages of 1 Samuel in chapter 12. Here's what Samuel, on behalf of God, said to the people of Israel. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will will be against you and your king. And I know in our modern times, we get caught up in this word fear, don't we? Fear the Lord. I thought he's a compassionate father. He's a good, good father, we sing. Well, let me tell you what this means. It wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. When the Israelites talked about fear, when Samuel's talking about fear, it's respecting, having the proper reverence in all to the Lord. In other words, what this passage is saying is fear, revere, trust the Lord, and all will go well. And I just, I relate this to parenting. As parents, I'm, I'm the parent of, of three uh, young people, and uh, I, I say to them often, I say to our kids, guys, just here, here's the way, like here, here's some guidelines, here's, here's some principles to follow. And often they look at me like I'm a killjoy, right? Some of you kids in the room, some of you students, when your parents give you guidance, rules, commandments, you're like, they're killjoys. Really? Let me tell you a story. Last week, our family did our first rock concert together, first concert in general, Need to Breathe. Who was at the concert? Raise your hand. Okay, 75% of the first service was at that concert. Okay, so we walk in, Blaze, my middle son, he always makes my sermons because he's very eccentric. And he's 12 years old, and he starts walking in like this, like through the front gates. And I'm like, Blaze, please don't do that. <laughs> and 
And then we get to those concrete stairs. We were sitting on the second level, and he starts hopping up the stairs like he's in CrossFit, right? He's hopping two, three stairs at a time, and he's looking back at me and others like he's the man. I'm like, Blaze, like, that's awkward, number one. Number two, we know what happens with you in these kind of moments. You fall, and you hit your head or leg or whatever, and you bleed, and then there's blood everywhere, sweat everywhere. Please don't do that. Like, honestly, Blaze, please contain yourself. And so then the concert started. One of the first bands, there's two opening bands. And some of y'all were sitting near us. And y'all could be my witness. Because all of a sudden, Blaze started dancing by doing the air guitar. Like, he just thought, like, that's what you do the whole concert. And I'm like, Blaze, please, like, contain yourself. At one point, he kicks the woman. He's like, eyes closed. Air, he doesn't play the guitar. <laughs> he kicks the woman in front. She's, I said, see, Blaze, control yourself. Respect those around you. Respect your elders. Listen to me. And he's like, just shaking his head, right? And uh, I know some of y'all were sitting behind me. I was like, oh, gosh. And I, I was like, for the sake of your future, someone can videotape this and blackmail you. <laughs> blackmail you when you try to get a job. Don't do this. So then there was between the sets, there was some you know, downtime. And most of my family went to use the, the restroom. And I'm looking over here, I'm probably talking to the Johnsons or the Andrews, something. I'm looking over here, and all of a sudden, I hear commotion, I turn, and Blaze is literally falling, feet up, and nails his head, and nails his arm on the seat. You see, Blaze had the brilliant idea of trying to steal my kettle corn under my seat between the sets, instead of simply saying, Dad, can I share your kettle corn? Yeah, you can share my, he, no. He went for it. And they had these kind of stadium seats that they pop back up. So he thought, I'm going to grab the kettle corn. I'm going to jump back in my seat. Well, the seat had popped back up. So he goes, whoa, boom. And even now, his arm's black and blue. And I said, see, Blaze? See, Blaze? Like, I had your best interest in mind. And he goes, I know, Dad. And he said I could share the story. So you can give him grief when you see him. You see... What's true for Blaze is, frankly, true for Saul. And it's true for all of us. You know, the Bible's full of all these stories of knuckleheads needing God's grace again and again and again. And uh, in the story here in 1 Samuel, the problem is we often let other voices trump the voice of the Lord. Saul would continue to sin and not kind of revere the Lord, and he'd go on his own way. And uh, he ends up confessing in chapter 15. He goes to Samuel, and he says, I've sinned. and I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And that's true for Saul, and it's often true for us. When we start to hear the voice of those around us, or even that voice inside of us, you need to be greater, you need to be better, etc., etc., And those voices trump the volume of the voice of the Lord. And we take matters into our own hand. Point number one, God's way is clear. We are called to revere and trust Him. Point number two, God's way is full of trials. And this is where it gets challenging and comforting. The story goes on. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan, who's his son, called David. And Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul. 
And he was in his presence as before. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. And then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. And he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. You see, what happened here is Saul has completely lost it. He's lost his marbles. So as he sinned and gone his own way, God's raising up another unexpected leader to shepherd his people. His name is David. And so God, if you, if you remember a few weeks back in the Old Testament, in Israel, kings were not crowned. They were anointed. So the anointing of Saul was removed, the authority to lead on his behalf, but he was still in office, and it, it then went to David, a boy. And, and yet David was still waiting his turn to ascend the throne. He wasn't taking matters into his own hand, but as Pastor Jerry shared a couple weeks ago, Saul became more and more envious, and he would just unleash his anger time and time again. And it leads to this. Friends, as we see in this passage, there are two types, of, two types of trials in view. The first is with Saul, God's discipline. The second is with David, God's development. Let's deal with the first, God's discipline. The writer C.S. Lewis writes, There are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. You see, what God does with Saul and with us is often he actually just allows us to unleash whatever bitterness or sins inside till we kind of fall on our face, till we hit bottom, to use language from AA. And uh, beyond that, Jim Croce, anyone remember that singer-songwriter? He, he wrote these words, and I think they're fitting. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger, and you don't mess around with Slim. First it was Jim, and then Jim got beat up by Slim in the song. You don't mess around with Slim. You don't mess around with Yahweh. And so we get to this part in the passage where we read, then a harmful, which literally means troubling or annoying spirit from God, from the Lord, came upon Saul. It's one of these passages where you're like, what? Like, do I just skip this? It's the Old Testament, dark, bloody. No. So again, how do we reconcile, like, the compassionate God with this passage? Right? One, one theologian has this to say. He's like, a, a black mood was deposited upon Saul. And any parents in the room know that discipline can be very, very hard. And we read about it in Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord discipline, disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see, I believe in this passage, God was unleashing his love through discipline and saying, Saul, you lost your way. 
And I'm going to give you over to your sin, to your harshness, to your anger, until you fall on your face and you cry out for help. If you've ever been involved in an alcohol or drug intervention, this is kind of what it's all about. And here's a kind of a, a question to reflect on. Have you ever considered that the trial you're facing right now might be God's discipline? Might be a wake-up call for you. In a way to measure that in this passage and even in our contemporary times is this. Do your loved ones see that you have a problem? In this passage, over, excuse me, in this book, over and over again, Jonathan, who's the heir to the throne of Saul, sees God working in David, sees God using David to save the nation of Israel. And he's like, Dad, you've got Saul. Dad, you've got David wrong. And he tries to intervene again and again and again. Later in chapter, the, the end of chapter 19, um, David's wife, who happens to be Saul's daughter, even tries to intervene. And Saul has none of it. And he's unleashing the wrath that he feels. He's unleashing envy. Again, he will not get help. So God's bringing him under discipline. And then to David's development. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. I don't know about you guys, but growing up in and around the church, I was hurt by the church when you're called to have faith, you come to faith, you think everything's going to be hunky-dory, and it's not. Anyone have that experience where you give your heart to Jesus and all of a sudden things are still you know, off kilter? That's David's story. He's been anointed by God. He's been promised that God will never leave him nor forsake him. He has the authority to lead the people of Israel at some point. And yet, you know what? God says, great, I'm going to make you a refugee and a reject. It kind of goes against our contemporary kind of shallow Christianity, doesn't it? God's saying, like, I'm not going to remove the trials. I'm going to send you into the trials. And so it begs the question, have you ever considered that the trial you're facing is part of God's development of you? Corey Tinboom, who survived the Holocaust, wrote these words. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You see, friends, God's way is full of trials where we're called to fully trust him. Point number three God's way then cultivates gospel leadership. Pulling from the message version of the Bible, we read these words. So David got away and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and others associated with his family heard where he was, they came down and joined him. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around. Losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. And David became their leader and there are about 400 in all. David's on the run, and he finds shelter in this cave. And others find shelter with him. You see, it's through the darkness and despair that true leadership is born. I don't know if any of you know the story of work done. Anyone know who work done is? So work done, here's a picture of work done. 
work done, grew up in Louisiana, the oldest of six kids, and uh, raised by a single mom. Mom was a police officer. She'd take extra jobs after work for providing security to provide for her family. Her dream was to always own a home as a single mom. She couldn't make, make it all happen, but she worked hard to provide for her kids. Two days after Warwick Dunn, who had become a football star and was on his way to Florida State uh, on a football scholarship, two days after he turned 18 as a senior, he got a call, the, 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 the worst call you can imagine, that his mom had been ambushed and killed. And he said, I can't go on. I, I've got to pull out of football. I've got to get a job. And a friend of the family said, Ward, work. It's your job. Your mom would want you to set the tone for the family as the oldest. You need to pursue this dream, pursue this path that you've worked hard for. And so he then became the parent, the guardian of all five siblings. He then went to Florida State, was drafted by your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Any Bucs fans? That's my team. Yes, thank you. He was drafted by the Buccaneers. And he played for something like 12 seasons, made the Pro Bowl multiple times. And as he was playing, he set up two charities out of that tragedy, where to this day, he has helped provide and pay for 150 homes for single parents. And not only did he survive grief, he's opened up in his book about struggling throughout his life with depression. So it's through that darkness, the loss of his mom, and through the struggle with depression that he's built 150 homes for single parents. You see, I love this quote from Henry Nouwen. The great illusion of leadership is to think that man can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. You see, through the darkness, God had prepared David to lead his people and to lead them out of it. And David, as we know, as we've been talking about, he's a foreshadowing for the New Testament, for the true anointed one, which is Jesus Christ. So David's preparation is like Jesus' preparation. This is the story of David and the story of Jesus. It's through darkness and despair that the true leadership is born. We read in Philippians 2 these words. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Friends, have you ever considered that if you're facing darkness, might it be that God wants to uniquely love you so that you love others? Someone shared a quote from Rick Warren, which is this, might it be that your misery is meant to become your ministry? So to summarize, God's way is clear. God's way actually is full of trials. And God's way cultivates gospel leadership, even when we cannot see the way God leads the way. So where do you find yourself today? 
As you walk into church today, are you facing any sort of darkness? Looking at Saul, might it be time for you to examine your life and say, I need help? Might loved ones like Jonathan, McCall, you know, loved ones around Saul saying, you need help, Dad. Might people be saying to you, you need help? And might today be the day that you say, I'm going to actually take that next step and get help? And then there's others that are in darkness, and they're like, why am I in darkness? I'm pursuing God. In fact, I know he's loved me, saved me, anoints me, all this stuff, but I'm, I feel so alone. I feel so abandoned. And here's what I would say. Might God want to love you, not by taking you out of the darkness, but walking with you through the darkness? I know for a fact there are people in this church struggling with deep depression, abusive situations, fractured marriages, fractured parent and kid relationships, struggling with where's God directing me in my job. And I just want to encourage you to say, God's not abandoning you. He actually loves you through the darkness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that those who need to cry out for help and admit that they're struggling, maybe they've gone off the deep end, if you will, they'd cry out for help today. Help. Help God. And direct them to wise counsel. And God, for those who are in darkness and they don't know why they're there and they feel abandoned, God, may they see you through this passage, and in their day-to-day life, would you carry them, not away from the cave, but into it, and develop them and love them right now, today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.